So if you can, uh, don't put it up on the screen yet, but just thumb over to 1 John 4, 16. That's the text that we're going to go off of today, and I'm going to preach out of that one today, but I'm just going to kind of set this up. So as many of you guys know, um, oh, I suppose 2019 and then 2018 was kind of a you know, challenging year for us, and I you know, broke both of my shoulders, and it was kind of a trying thing because... You know, I had to sleep in a recliner for a little bit. I was, you know, it was awful. It took me like three, four months before I could lay down in a bed, you know. So I was sleeping in a recliner for forever, it seemed like. I mean, it was nice, but after a while, you're like, I want to sleep in the same bed as my wife, you know. Good news is I'm back sleeping in a bed again, so praise God, you know. Shoulders are getting better, getting the mobility, you know. I got a couple months, you know. I could almost do touchdowns, so, you know, we're getting close to the football season, so i got to get ready to go. But I could remember, and I know, you know, God just kind of does good things with children. And it just with mine, he just really uses my daughter to help encourage me. And uh, one night we're getting ready for bed, and I'm kind of winding down in my recliner bed, you know. And uh, she crawls up on my lap, and uh, she's two at the time. She's three now, but she was just two at the time. And she looks at me, and she says, Daddy... God loves you. And, well, it just blessed my heart. And I said, baby, I know that. But just for saying that, you could sleep in our bed tonight, you know. <laughs> but but uh, it was, it was kind of one of those things. And, and I'll be honest with you, my reality was is that um, I could tell you that God loves me. But at the time and because of the season where we were in and where we were at when she told me that, I wasn't fully confident in that statement, Okay. And let me explain this, and we're, I'm going to talk about this today. Uh, understand this, we live in a culture to where love has been conditional. It's been based on performance. And you see it all the time in relationships where conditions change and the relationship changes. I mean, I, you know, I just got done visiting my grandparents back in northeastern Montana. They've been married, you know, 65 years well, you look back in the day, and you know, my wife and I do premarital counseling where we're at right now, and it's, it's kind of funny. The statistics of divorce over the decades have just decreased, decreased, decreased you know, over and over and over. Why? Because it's conditional love, right? You know, when my grandparents were coming up, it was like, we're going we're gonna to work this thing. You know, we're going to be committed to our vows and our relationship together regardless of the circumstances, and we're going to stick this thing out. Divorce was a rarity. But nowadays, it's like you see someone getting married, and a month later, they're divorced, you know, it seems like. And I'm not knocking anyone who's gone through that. I know each situation is different, but it seems like love has, uh, we've been accustomed to the condition of love, being, being in a conditional relationship based upon love and based upon performances. So, you know, when mistakes are made, and that seems like it changes everything sometimes in a relationship. So, you know, there's conditional friendships, there's conditional marriages, really conditional love. And I put, we've been so accustomed to this type of culture, and because of that, it's very easy to assume God's love is the same way as well. And we tend to associate, and I wrote this, and I want you to pay attention to this. We tend to associate that which is earthly to that which is heavenly, Okay, and we, we make comparisons based upon that. And so a lot of times you can see a situation to where, well, maybe, you know, kid growing up, he wasn't, didn't have a really stable home life. 
and maybe his parents weren't always there for him. And so he takes that experience that he had as an earthly, how his earthly parents treated him, and then he puts that on our heavenly father. And he makes the comparison. So you can't compare that which is earthly to that which is heavenly. You know, and I, I was just watching, I don't know if you guys know this, but they're doing a, a motion picture on Mr. Rogers, and Tom Hanks is the star, and the trailer just came out of the, the movie the other day, and I, I don't know, I'm kind of a Mr. Rogers fan, I don't know, and it was kind of weird, but, you know, it was a, it was a great show, but uh, I was reading through the comments, and how many people were commenting on YouTube about, oh my gosh, this brought tears to my eyes, and this is crazy, and I read one comment, and it made me chuckle, but it kind of made me sad as well, too, and this person commented and, and uh, said, Mr. Rogers took better care of me than my own parents did. And the thing about that comment was more people commented on that saying, that's exactly how I was too. My parents argued, my parents did this, and I would park myself in front of the TV and watch Mr. Rogers and he would make me feel good. You know, and their experience growing up in that situation was a horrible, it was a horrible experience that they had with their earthly parents. But you can't compare earthly relationships that are imperfect to a heavenly, heavenly relationship with our Heavenly Father who is perfect. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So how you were treated, disciplined, encouraged, and loved on by your earthly parents is not the benchmark for how you're going to be treated, disciplined, encouraged, and loved on by your Heavenly Father. And like many, I have been guilty of this as well. My issue was if I made a mistake or I felt my performance wasn't up to God's expectation, I felt like he was disappointed in me or held back from me. The truth is my relationship with God was based on conditions. It was based upon performance. Just like I believe uh, many, many of us in this room today still have that kind of feeling with our Heavenly Father that he might be disappointed or he doesn't love them, so forth and so on. I believed a lie, and that lie was that his love was conditional, and believing that way had a negative impact on me and how I live for God and receive from God. And many of us are in the same spot today. That is why I believe this message right here will change your life. It will change your life. So I'm going to say buckle up and let's get ready to go because what I'm going to bring today is the foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is life-changing. It is not just words on a screen you're going to read. It's not just words in a book you're going to read. They are life-changing words. So on the inside, you just ask the Holy Spirit to get ready to do a work on the inside of me because what's going to be preached is going to open something, it's, it's going to open your eyes today. I wrote this down and I want you to understand this. God is the perfect father. He is the perfect father. You can't get any greater than him. He is the absolutely perfect father. And it is time for us to destroy the idea that our Heavenly Father is present to find fault with you. You may have grown up in a home where your parents were constantly pointing out your mistakes, were very critical of you, or been in horrible relationships, but you can't project the same characteristic onto our Heavenly Father. God knows every detail about you, yet He loves you perfectly. That is because He sees you differently, okay? Listen to this. He sees you differently. He sees you through the lens of the cross, where Jesus has removed every fault and failing from your life. Amen? Are you guys with me today? Do I need to read that again? 
God sees you through the lens of the cross where Jesus has removed every fault and failing from your life. That's why we could sit here and sing that our chains are broken. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Amen? I got one person who likes that, okay? Think about that. I'm free. You're free. Not because of our ability, not because of things that we've done, but by His ability and what He has done. Amen. Thank God for that. (coughs) God's presence is with you not to judge you or smack you on the head with a stick the moment you fail. I've thought that for the longest time that, you know, I don't know why I associated God with a nursery rhyme, it's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. I don't know why I always thought when I would sing that, that that's God up there, you know, and he's, he's ready to hit me if something happens. I don't know why we think that way, but a lot of people put that on our Heavenly Father. So God's presence is with you, not to judge you or smack you on the head with a stick the moment you fail. He is there to direct you, to guide you, and to make you a success in every area of your life. He is your number one coach. He is your number one cheerleader. He is your number one friend. He is your number one father. Amen? We just got back, like I said, we just got back from Montana. My cousin was getting married, and this was the greatest thing. My daughter was the flower girl for her wedding. Okay, this is great. This is a little town, small town Montana, and the church was like 300 degrees in there, it felt like, you know, in the middle of summer. But for the rehearsal, we're like, okay, we got to practice with Riley, you know, because she really don't know what a flower girl is, right? So we get to rehearsal, and she wants nothing to do with, you know, she's running up and down everywhere, and we're like, wait a minute, you need to practice, you know, nothing to do with that. So I go to bed the night before, and I'm praying, oh, Lord, <laughs> you got to help her out here, you know? So because she's such a mama's girl, and you know, mama's got to stand up front, and I was doing the wedding, so I was officiating the wedding, so I'm up front too. She's got to stand there back there with the bride, and my uncle, who's giving away his bride, which she's not really, my daughter's really not great around men, so she kind of gets shy, and so I'm like, how is this going to work, Lord, you know? So when the music comes on and her time to come out, she walks out there, and people are like, you know, throw the flowers. And my wife's video on this thing, and as she's walking, she's throwing the flowers, and you could hear my wife, you're doing good, you're doing good, keep going, keep going, babe, you're doing good. She's, she's really doing it. She's throwing the flowers, you know. And uh, she just grabbed a handful of flowers and threw them, and a couple of them fell off the runner, you know. And so she's got to stop and pick up those flowers and put them back on the runner. And people started laughing because they thought it was so cute. Well, Riley thought they were laughing at her, so she stops, and she's kind of looking around, but then my wife comes in and says, it's okay, babe, it's okay, you're doing good, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then she grabs some more and, you know, throws them and then, you know, runs out of flowers, and then she runs up to me in the front, you know, it was just, it was great, but I sit there and I think back to that situation, and I sit there and look, and I watched that video, oh, like 1.5 million times already, but... uh, it was so awesome because I, I just was like, what Stacy was doing, encouraging her, that's what our Heavenly Father is doing with us, you know? And as Riley was walking down the aisle, she's keep going, keep going, keep going. And yeah, she threw and made a little mistake and flowers didn't go off the runner or whatever. But my wife kept on saying, it's okay, it's okay. And I just want you to know this, that when we do mess up or we do make a mistake, our Father is not there to shake a fist at us. No, he's saying, it's okay. 
It's okay. Keep going. Keep going. You're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. Why? Because Jesus already bore the, the punishment and the shame and, and all that stuff on the cross, right? So our Heavenly Father's our encourager telling us to keep going, right? Because there's no condemnation whatsoever in Christ Jesus. So our Father's the encourager. He's going to be the one that's telling us to keep going. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. But I need you to keep going. I don't need you to fall back and condemn yourself because you made a mistake. No. Because someone already paid the price for that mistake. And that's why we can keep moving forward. Because when the enemy comes against you and says, well, look at you. You, you, you did this or you did that or you messed up. Or... No, all we have to do is look and point to Jesus and say, Mr. Devil, look at Jesus. Because he already paid that price. Right? So I can keep my eyes, like the scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Right? That's who I could look unto. Because he's the one that gives me permission to keep going. Because God's not holding those faults against me. He's not holding that against me. This is exactly why our Heavenly Father is our number one coach, cheerleader, encourager, father, and friend. Let's go to the text real quick. First John chapter 4, verse 16. We need to get going here because, man, I could preach here. and I got a, I got a lot to do here. So First John chapter 4, verse 16. We get it up on the screen here. Say amen when you get there. If not, just look up at the screen here. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. 1 John 4, 16 says this. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I'm going to ask a question. How many in here know God loves them? Right? Yeah. Now, here's another question. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many believe God loves them? Is a different thing. It's a different thing. The scripture says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The Bible talks about you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But the truth is not going to do anything for you unless you act on that truth. Okay? It's not going to do anything for you. Listen, I, I played athletics growing up all the way from, you know, being real little through college, played college football at Eastern and all that stuff. And I don't know how many nutritionists and coaches and all that stuff have written me up a meal plan and a workout plan and all that stuff and telling me exactly what I need to do to lose weight, to get in shape. And I could sit there and tell you exactly what you need to do to get in shape and to lose weight. But there's a difference. I knew the truth, but I really didn't believe that because I didn't walk in that truth. Because if I would have took those principles and started applying it, I would have seen results in my life. So there's a difference of knowing that God loves you and really knowing and believing that God loves you. Because when you believe God loves you, you're going to begin to act on that truth. Okay? Because when you know the Heavenly Father loves you, it changes your walk. It changes your talk. It changes how you react to situations. Because you know you're backed by the perfect Father. You're backed by the Heavenly Father. So there's a difference, like I said, of knowing and believing. <coughs> I could tell you that God loves me, but like I said, I wasn't 100% confident in that. Um, verse 17 goes on to say, by, by this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, who's he talking about as he is? He's talking about Jesus. 
As Jesus is, so are we in this world. And because of that, we can have confidence of the, on the day of judgment. Because of this union with God, we can have confidence because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God judges us based upon what Jesus did on the cross. He sees you through the lens on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice for all your failings, mistakes, insecurity, sin, so forth and so on. Everything that separated us from God was punished in Jesus, so sin is no longer the issue when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right? Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's why we can have confidence on the day of judgment. When we stand before our Heavenly Father, we can just point to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. And that's why we have confidence, because the sin has already been punished on his body. That's why we could stand confident. So that should impact me on how I act and react and respond to situations here on earth. I could have confidence, because as Jesus is, so am I. Now think about how Jesus is sitting on that throne next to the Heavenly Father. Is he, is he worried about lack? Is he worried about, oh, I just lost my job? Is he worried about maybe the symptoms in my body are showing a little sickness? Is he worried about that? No. He's not because he already bore the punishment for all that. So therefore, we can have confidence. When a situation comes up, we can say, uh-uh, Mr. Devil. Just, just point to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, right? Because he's the one that already bore all that for us. So we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, verse 18 goes on to say this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, this is what I really want to get to, is this. We love, why? Because he first loved us. We have the capability and the ability of loving because he first loved us. So my first point is this, and you gotta under, excuse me, you got to understand this. And I'm speaking to every last one of you guys here. You're loved. Okay? You are loved. I'm not talking about a conditional love. I'm talking about an unconditional love from our Heavenly Father that looks beyond your mistakes, goes deeper than your insecurities, loves you right where you are. Loves you exactly right where you are. Now, here's the deal. I am a huge sports fan, huge sports fan. And I guess the whole benefit to, you know, maybe breaking my shoulders or whatever, it was right around March Madness, you know, college basketball. So I got to sit home and watch college basketball all day long. And so the University of Virginia won the national championship this year. Their head coach, Tony Bennett. Now, follow me if you're not a sports fan. Follow me if you are, though, but if you're not, just, just hang tight with me because this is a great story. So Tony Bennett, the head coach of the University of Virginia Cavaliers, they won the national championship this year, but the one thing that he's known for is his University of Virginia team last year was the first ever number one seed to ever lose to a number 16 seed in, in college basketball history. Over 132 number one versus number 16 seed games have been played in the college basketball tournament, and his team was the first to ever lose. And it wasn't by a small margin. They got blown out by like 20 points. 
and it was the biggest upset in college basketball history. So irregardless of Tony Bennett and his team winning this year the national championship, which is a great accomplishment, he's still known for, well, you're the first team that ever lost, you know, the biggest upset, so forth and so on. But anyways, <coughs> his team won a game this year to take him into the Final Four, and he was giving an interview uh, uh, to a guy about, you know, kind of expectation and, and uh, kind of what took him, you know, took him to that or got him to that situation. And most of you guys don't know this, or many of you might, but Tony Bennett used to be the coach at Washington State University before he got his promotion up to uh, University of Virginia. So anyways, he's talking to the interviewer and he talked about how his team fought back in the game and how he's proud of them after everything they endured last year, getting upset and losing, and it helped them not give up and give in and they were able to go on and win the game. The interview then asked him about his dad. He said, I seen you hugged your dad and you kept saying, thank you, thank you, just over and over and over again. And he said, he goes on to start saying, he said, you know, many don't know this about my dad. His dad, Dick Bennett, was also a successful college coach at the University of Wisconsin. And then he retired from basketball, but then was talked out of retirement later on in his life. And I mean, he's, he's you know, was getting older and he said, you know, I'm done, but something called him out of retirement. And he went and coached a struggling WSU team. The dad did. So he took a position down at Washington State University, which... WSU basketball at the time was absolutely horrible. There's been only a few years where they've not been horrible. Let me just get that straight. But they were absolutely horrible. And really for three years, he coached that team and worked to get that team into a respectable position. And, and then he turned it over to his son, Tony Bennett, who coaches University of Virginia. And uh, he set it up this way. He said, listen, if I come back, come out of retirement of coaching, I want to bring my son as an assistant coach with me. And so for three years, his dad, Dick Bennett, went down and coached this team. And they were awful, and yet he got criticized by the media, so forth and so on. And then he finally said, son, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to turn this thing over to you. I don't know if you're going to be successful with it, but it's going to be all yours. I'm going to be here for you. And so he turned the, he turned the team over, Washington State team, over to his son. And I, I just wrote this down. He lost so that his son could have a chance at winning. He was willing to take the beating so his son could be successful. Kind of, kind of likened to Jesus a little bit. You know, Jesus took the beating so therefore we could be successful. But as the interview goes on, Tony Bennett states that when he talks to his dad before every game he coaches in or every game he's ever played in as a player, he said, my dad would always say something interesting. He said, while we're on the conversation, his dad would say, son, I just want you to know, regardless of what happens in the game, you're covered. He would say, you're covered. And Tony Bennett then goes on to say, he said, as a son, you know your parents want things to go well for you, but when you know that they're going to love you unconditionally, regardless what happens, he said, that is the greatest gift any parent could ever give their kid is unconditional love. He said, because I knew win or lose play good or play bad, that my parents were still going to love me. And he said, that just gave me comfort knowing that. So I didn't worry about what was going to happen and how people were going to perceive me or receive me. I played and I coached with no fear, with no judgment, because I knew that I was covered. Because my dad would tell me, son, you're covered. 
And, and, and I, wrote, I put this down. No matter the mistakes, failures that you may endure through your life, you've got to know something. You're covered. You're covered by his love. You see, because he's not going to look at you any differently. You're covered by his love. For, uh, John chapter 15, verse 13, we'll just put that on the screen for the sake of time, says this, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, we won't go there, he said, but you are my friends, right? And I want you to know something, you are his friends and you are covered, right? You're covered. For three and a half years, Jesus walked this earth, showed us how the Father loves us. He took the beatings, he was mocked, he was stripped, and he was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross for hours so we could be covered. So we can be covered. So I know mistakes will be made. I know you're going to mess up, but you need to know one thing. You're covered. Not by your performance, but by the blood. By his love, you're covered. So we are not in fear of the day of judgment because we know as he is, so are we. We're covered. So this is the very message God wants you to receive today and God wants you to hear today. <coughs> and I know there are many who still believe, just like I did, that God's love for you depends on your actions. I've been there, and I know many, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know many believe that way, have believed that way, or might still be believing that way to this day, that God's love for you is conditional and depends on your actions, that you need to be perfect, that you can't come to him unless you're perfect, right? Many people still believe that. Or they believe that God is ashamed of you or punishing you with sickness or lack of blessing because of mistakes and failures. Or the common thing was, what about Job? And remember what happened with Job? I'm not, not talking about Job. I'm talking about what about Jesus? What about Jesus and what he did? Right? He took the shame. He took the beating, suspended on the cross, took all the sin and sickness that we were having past, present, and future and bore it on that cross so that we could stand here covered. You remember in, in, in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and then they come back because signs, wonders, and miracles were taking place and, and the disciples began to get in a little uh, childish argument talking about Jesus, which one of us is the greatest because they're out two by two and they're probably experiencing signs, wonders, and miracles and they don't know what the other disciples are seeing so every one of them is a little puffed up and they come back, well, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? And, you know, Jesus has to correct that little childish <laughs> behavior before it gets to anything else. But then as Jesus was foretelling his death to the disciples, they were getting ready to go on into Jerusalem and, uh, and uh, they were going to stop, Jesus is stopping to Samaritan village on your way so we can preach and we can share with them. And so as the disciples get ready to go to the Samaritan village, they were rejected because they said, we, we don't want any part of this gospel. We don't want any part of Jesus. And so they rejected. So James and John come back and say to Jesus, Jesus, they're, they're rejecting our ministry. So the logical thing that they thought of is, do you want us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah did? Right, you know, and we can just burn them all up. You know, Old Testament, right? Let's, let's call fire down. Let's burn them all up. That will show them. That will teach them a lesson. Jesus said one thing. He said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. He said, because I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I come to save men's lives. 
I've come to lift you up. I've come to pick you up. God is not inflicting punishment. God is not inflicting pain. God is not inflicting disease. God is not withholding blessing from you because of the things that you've done. He did not come to destroy your life. He came to save your life. Jesus said that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Come on, what does a more abundant life look like? In my knowledge, more abundantly looks great. But in God's knowledge, I want his more abundantly, right? That's the type of life that he came to give us. I did not come to destroy your lives, but I come to save them. The good news is payment for your sins has already been made in full upon the body of Jesus at the cross. When God looks at you today, he doesn't judge you and measure you according to your imperfections. He sees you in Christ. He sees the blood that has been shed for you by his son. Jesus came to give you life, not take it away. Amen? Amen. Are you guys here? You haven't gone home yet. All right, good, because I'm sweating and I need you all with me here, all right? So I said, I put this down. It's good to know that regardless of the situation, mistakes you've made, how you feel about yourself, you're covered. You're covered by his love. Jesus paid a heavy price on that cross so that we could live a life accepted and unconditionally loved by God. And knowing and believing this will make all the difference in how you live your life no matter what situation is staring you in the face. you got to know something. You're covered and you're loved. Not too long ago, Stacy and I, we had to go out and do something, and it was late. You know, we were getting home. It's probably closer to midnight. On our way home, <coughs> we're driving on 29th. And, you know, 29th's a busy street, and uh, we're just driving, and, and uh, we see this kid sitting on the sidewalk, and I, was, I looked over and I said, oh, well, that doesn't look right. You know, he's just kind of a busy street and he's just kind of sitting on the sidewalk. And we keep going and Stacy and I both kind of look at each other at the same time. That doesn't look right. You know, and, and she, said, she was driving. She said, should I pull around? I said, yeah, I think you need to pull around. So we get out and we go talk to this kid. Hey, man, what's going on? He's crying and all that stuff. And uh, he said, well, I just broke up. I just broke up with my partner, my boyfriend, you know. So I'm like, okay, and so we're hearing, you know, you got someplace safe to go, what's going on, you know, and he's given us his story and everything. And, and I said, well, we want to pray for you. And he kind of was taken back a little bit. I said, well, we want to pray for you. And I said, give me your hands. So he gives us his hands. I mean, he didn't know nothing about God <laughs> because he says, uh, am I supposed to close my eyes or do I keep my eyes open? And I said, I don't care. I said, I don't care. We just want to pray for you. And he says, as before we get ready to pray, he says, listen, I, I, you got to know something. I'm agnostic. And, you know, agnostics don't really know if there's a God. They don't really, you know. And I said, listen, I don't care. And he says, well, okay, okay. I want you to know something else. I'm gay. And I said, I don't care. I said, I want you to know something. God loves you. And we're going to pray for you. And so we prayed, and he closed his eyes. I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I peeked. I was like, you know. But so we prayed for him. And uh, as we get done praying, amen, he looks at me and Stacy says, I've never met people like you guys before. 
And I've never met people like you guys. I wish there was more people out there like you. And, and there are. There are. And I'm not bragging on us, but I'm bragging on God. And I said, listen, young man, you just got to know God loves you. Regardless of the situations. You know, 15, 20 years ago, if that was me, and a kid says, well, I'm gay. Well, you need to get that squared away first before you can, you know. I mean, that would have been my mentality, really legalistic type, judgmental, you know. But that's not who our father is, right? He's saying, I love you regardless of what's going on, regardless of the things going on in your life. I love you. It's not up to us to change people. The gospel will do that. The Holy Spirit will do that, right? I don't advocate for that type of stuff. I don't advocate for that living. But the thing about it is, it's not my job to change that, It's his job. So I'm going to let God be God, and I'm going to be me and do what he says and preach the gospel, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I'm I'm sitting there thinking, we left that place, and remember, we looked back, and we thought, that guy was completely gone. We're like, where in the world did he go? He completely vanished, you know? Where where was he at? We sit there and think, like, he's probably never heard that message before, He's probably been beaten down, condemned, and thinking that no one loves him. And so he's going anywhere possible to find someone who cares about him. That's why he could look us in the face and said, I've never met people like you guys before. And I'm thinking, we didn't do anything special. We just wanted to care about him and show him the love of the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came to show us the love of the Father. You need to know that God loves you. I put this down as this. We, are going, we can really start growing in our relationship with God when we come to the realization that it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what He thinks. And our Heavenly Father thinks you are great. Our Heavenly Father absolutely loves you. So when it comes down to insecurities in your life, God's saying, I don't care. When it's coming to mistakes that you've made, God's saying, I don't care. When it's coming to addictions in your life, God's saying, I don't care. I love you. Embrace my love. Right? Because when you embrace my love, I could do more inside of you to help deal with the things that you're dealing with to give you confidence on the day of judgment to give you confidence to know that as Jesus is, so are we. You've got to know that. It doesn't change a thing with what you are going through because you have to know that God loves you. People are in situations they are in today not because they don't love God enough. As many people will say, well, they just got to know God. They got to love God more. They got to love God more. It's not that, that fact that people are in those situations are doing the things that they're doing because they don't love God enough. Is they don't know how much God loves them. They react and do things because they don't know how much they're loved. Kids who act up and act out and do the things that they do, is they, they may say, well, my parents don't love me. It's not that. They don't know how much their parents do love them. And that's why it's important that we understand how much our Heavenly Father loves us. Because when you know how much you're loved, because we love because He first loved us. And when we know how much we are loved, it compels us to love. Because we know that we are loved. God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. He is madly in love with you. Revelations 1, chapter 5. Put that on the board here. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting a little close here. But 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, I want to read this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. This is what I want you to get at. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Let's take a look at that. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I want you to notice the order in which God does this marvelous work. He loved us first. Then he washed us. He does not love what is washed. He washes what he loves. So the idea of having to come to the Father with everything perfect and everything clean, that's not the truth. Because he doesn't wash or he doesn't love what is already clean. He cleans what he loves. He washes what he loves. So it's not our job to sit there and say, well, you got to get all your ducks in a row before, nuh-uh. Let God do the work. Let God do the washing. Jesus says, to him who is loved, who loved us and washes from our sins in his own blood, he washed, he loved us, and therefore he washes us. Jesus was willing to touch the untouchable. In Mark chapter 1, the lepers said to Jesus, and of course, if you know the history of this, you know, lepers had to, you know, declare themselves unclean, live in a, in a leper colony and all that stuff, and no one was willing to touch him. The leper heard of Jesus. I mean, he had to hear of the signs, wonders, and miracles that were taking place because otherwise he wouldn't have called on Jesus. But it was interesting. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, heal me. Well, he knows Jesus is willing to heal. I mean, what the leper was really saying, he says, Jesus, if you're willing, touch me because no one else will. I want you to touch me. Come on, no one else will touch me. I'm wrapped up in rags and all that stuff. I have to separate myself from everyone else. I want you to touch me. Prove to me, Jesus says, I am willing, and touches them and heals them. He's willing to touch the untouchable. He's willing to go to lengths to do the things that what most normal people wouldn't do because his love. Because of his love, he's driving home the point that I'm willing to touch the untouchable. God gave his very best to purchase you and to prove to you prove to you how valuable you are to him for God so loved the world that he gave. So point number one, you are loved. Point number two, and I'm, gonna, I'm hurrying up with this here. Point number two is this, you are valued. You are valued. Value is defined as the worth or importance of someone or something. Value can be determined by the price in which someone would pay for an item. I like to look at how much you value something in the context of what you are willing to sacrifice for that someone or something. Right? Let me say that again. I like to look at how much you value something in the context of what you are willing to sacrifice for that someone or something. Purchasing an item for money at an extraordinary cost doesn't impress me whatsoever. I worked with a guy that he was the uh, ball boy for the Utah Jazz when he was growing up and Long story, I'm not going to get into it because I don't have time. He ended up getting a pair of Michael Jordan's uh, basketball shoes autographed by Michael Jordan in what was considered one of the greatest basketball games Michael Jordan ever played, so-called the flu game, right? Michael Jordan had a flu. He went out and just, I mean, it was a phenomenal game. This kid has the guts to ask Michael Jordan because of the history of him being a ball boy for the Utah Jazz, and he would always be a ball boy for the opposing team. And uh, I don't know, 
kind of how it happened, but Jordan says, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you my shoes after the game. Gets a picture with Jordan signing his shoes and, you know, all that stuff. Saved him for years. His mom, reading the story and hearing the story from him, his mom at one point says, well, we better clean up those shoes there, and almost took the shoes and wiped them down. And he said, no, no, don't touch those shoes, because he put them up for auction not too long ago, and they had to rewatch the game, and they had to look at the scuffs to see where Jordan may have got scuffs on the shoes to verify that they were actually Jordan's shoes. And so these shoes were highly valuable because they sold for about 125000 Someone bid on them. And I'm thinking, that's not valuable, that's just stupidity, right? Because monetary means don't show me any type of sacrifice whatsoever. And so, like I said, I put this down, and I'm going to read it again. Uh, How much value, I like to look at how much you value something in the context of what you're willing to sacrifice for that someone or something. Bear with me, Stacy, on this one. (laughs) Just pray for me. Remember, till death do us part, right? I'm going to tell this story, and I know you're not going to like it, so... (laughs) So many people know I work for Verizon. I see phones coming out every single month, and I see the cost of the latest and greatest. Uh, But when it comes to my phone plan and the kids and what phones they have, I'm pretty picky because we're not going to get the latest and greatest every time something comes out. Even though I do get a discount, I think it's, to me, it's just foolish. Like, your phone needs to last, you know. Take care of it. And I make sure we're not buying the newest and coolest every single year. So, you know. I carried an iPhone 5S. I still have it, <laughs> you know? I mean, I just make sure. Now, when it comes to you guys and I work for Verizon, yes, go out and buy the latest and greatest, right? <laughs> but uh, I just, when you get a phone, it needs to last. So I had won this phone. Um, St- Stacy has it to this day, but it was the Google Pixel 2. And Stacy's iPhone just recently cracked. And I said, well, no, let's not get a new phone. You can use this phone. Well, I mean, come on you know, switching from iOS or iPhone operating system to an Android to an Apple fan is kind of like, you know, it's blasphemy almost, (laughs) you know. And she said, well, I like my iPhone and I don't want to switch from it, you know. And I said, well, just come on. This was free. It's a good phone. It's great. You're going to love it. And so Stacy reluctantly says, okay, I'll take that phone. So maybe a month or two after that, (laughs) We went over to Montana to watch my cousin play in a football game in Billings. Uh, He played for a small college in North Dakota, and he was playing this Rocky Mountain College in Billings. He played for Dickinson State in North Dakota. And uh, it was a rivalry game. And so, you know, being as it was a smaller school, I mean, they had a really nice stadium. And, you know, there was a big crowd because it was a rivalry game. But the, the problem was, is you know, with... A lot of people, there's large large lines, you know. So large lines for concessions and large lines for bathrooms. But they didn't have really good facilities for bathrooms, so they just had some porta potties, (laughs) you know. And it was like 100 degrees out, so, you know, porta potties and heat, eh, just don't go very well. And so the lines for these bathrooms are just terribly long. So we all said, well, before we go sit down, we got to use the bathroom real quick. And so we stood in line, and so my wife goes in, and... And she's like, okay, what in the world is taking her so long? What do they got, magazines in these things? (laughs) What in the world is taking so long? So she comes out, and I'm like, what took so long? And she hands me her phone, and I said, what in the world took so long? She said, well, my phone dropped in the toilet. (laughs) And I said, you're handing it to me? (laughs) She said, well, I cleaned it off, but, you know, can you just clean off under the case and... It's, but you're handing it to me. Like, this was just in the porta potty, you know, and, and you reached in and got it, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, uh, 
you know, what in the world? How did this happen? She said, well, I just slipped and fell in. And, and, and by instinct, I just reached in and grabbed it and wiped the yucky stuff off of it. And I'm thinking to myself, and as I'm writing this message, I'm sitting there thinking, I said, you said by instinct I just reached in and grabbed it. But it wasn't instinct that made her grab her phone. It was how valuable that phone was to her to make her save it. And so by the time we get back to our seats, family and friends around us had heard what happened, and many were saying, there is no way in the world I would have done that. I would have just left it there. Why in the world did you go after it? Because it had value. Okay, the phone had value to her. The value determined, the value of that phone determined how great the sacrifice was going to be to get it back. Okay, and she says, well, it didn't go all the way, and it just landed on some stuff, and, you know, I just wiped off. Needless to say, that has been almost a year, and we haven't held hands since, so no, no. But I, I want to I get across to this here. Listen, guys, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the lives of mankind became an absolute mess. They were. We were in an absolute mess. Just like Stacy's phone was a mess, we were full of all kinds of sin, covered, excuse my expression, covered in all kinds of crap. I'm just going to be honest with you. But just because we were covered in crap doesn't mean we are. Okay? Just because of the mess that we were in doesn't define us, doesn't make us who we are. We still have the same value that the Father gave us when he made us. You've got to understand something. Listen, you matter more than you think you do. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke it. He commanded it. He just said it, and it was. He called into existence that which had never existed before. The universes, the mountains, the oceans, the animals, the beaches, lakes, all this was created by God's voice. Everything was created by God's voice except man. Man was not created by God's voice because, you see, man was different. God did not speak man into existence because man was loved. Man was valued. And so throw Genesis 2 verse 7 up there, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to read this. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Our God, our creator, used his hands to craft us. He didn't just speak us. He reached down from heaven, and he crafted us with his hands, formed us, and breathed the breath of life into us. So therefore, we could be a living spirit. What sets us apart from every other created thing of God is we weren't spoken to existence. We were touched and we were formed by the hand of God. We bear his fingerprints. We had, I had a boss at work that would always say, you know, because I go out and visit stores and I coach and I train employees and all that stuff. He would go out and say, he said, every time you go in a store, I want you to leave your fingerprint on the store so that if I come in afterwards, I should know that you've been there. Why? Because they're replicating and doing the things that you're coaching them and training them and telling them to do. So leave your fingerprint on the business. And the thing about with God crafting us, he left his fingerprints on us so that we bear the image and the likeness of God that shows that he was here, that we've been created in the image and likeness of our heavenly father. Right? We're just not spoken into existence, we're formed, we're crafted, and his breath was breathed into our lungs. So therefore, we can have a spirit. That's value, right? That's value. We bear his touch. 
You are the result of the hand of God creating you and breathing life into you. You have value. You have value. Right? you got to understand that. I remember back in the day, we used to play this game, and you may have played it too. That's my car. You would see a nice car drive by. That's my car. That's my car, you know. And then when you'd see someone or you see a junkie car go by, you would say, that's your car, <laughs> you know. That's your car. And boy, I tell you what, that game would get really intense if you drove by the junkyard or something like that and you see a bunch of old clunkers sitting out there. Then you'd be like, that's your car over there, that's your car over there. I sit there and think like we can look at those junkers that are sitting out at like Spalding's or Poland Save or whatever and think, man, those things are junky, they're a piece of junk and whatever. But you've got to remember something. At some point in time, that car sat on a showroom floor somewhere. Someone looked at that car, someone admired that car, Right? And they looked at that thing like this is the greatest thing ever. And I tell you one thing, you, you take the creator or someone who assembled that vehicle that's in the junkyard, they would still admire that. I could remember my first car to this day, a 1983 Ford Thunderbird. That was my baby. And that thing got hit like 18 times, I swear. <laughs> the driver's side door didn't open up. But that was no problem. Me and my buddies would just climb through the passenger side and we'd climb over and drive that thing to school or wherever because... To me, it had value. It was mine. Right? So no matter the mess you get yourself into, no matter if you're thinking, I, I feel horrible, I'm awful, or I'm insecure, and I, I just don't feel like I have value to God, God's not looking at you that way. Because he crafted you. He made you. He built you. He's looking at you the same way that he looked at you when you were created not because of your works, not because of your ability, because he crafted you and because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Restored us back into right fellowship with our Heavenly Father again because Jesus bore all the weight of the sins, sickness, the insecurities, the mistakes, everything past, present, and future on that cross so therefore we could stand before the Heavenly Father. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Right? So when Jesus sees you, he's saying, that's my child. That's my child. And when you make a mistake, he's not saying to the devil, that's your child. No, he's not saying that. Because when you're born again believer in Jesus Christ and his blood, he's saying, you're mine. You're mine. And nothing will separate you from his love because you're mine. You matter more than you think. It didn't matter the situation we got ourselves into. He still loves us and finds value in us. That's why when we fell in the spiritual toilet... He came after us and wiped us clean. It didn't matter what we were covered in. His love and our value were deserving of the greatest sacrifice ever. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It didn't matter what we were covered in. The value that you have was great enough to, to uh, warrant the, the greatest sacrifice ever. That's why God sent the greatest prize in all of heaven, Jesus Christ, down to die for our sins. Because that's how good the value you have is. And it warranted the greatest sacrifice ever, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father's only begotten Son. That's value. Value is determined by the willingness of the sacrifice that you're willing to go to get that something back. And he emptied all of heaven to get us back. That shows value. God would have never paid such a high price for something he didn't value. Jesus' blood is proof of the worth and value that you have, and that is why I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Nothing. So know that you're loved, you're valued, and the last thing is, is you are just what God wants. 
He wants you. He wants you. He wants the real you. The blood of Jesus has brought you right into the presence of God and with the ability to have a close, intimate relationship with God the Father. He wants that relationship. You got to understand, I can remember, and I'm wrapping this up right here. <clears throat> Hoop Fest weekend, we're down. Peyton's playing Hoop Fest, and it was kind of crazy. And, you know, Riley's downtown Spokane, and we're kind of all over the place. And I'm running here, there, and everywhere. And at the end of Hoop Fest weekend, on Sunday night, Riley climbs up into my lap, and she says, Daddy, I've missed you. And I said, but I've been with you. I've been around you. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, it, you know, I was busy going from place to place, and although I was around, I wasn't engaged like I normally was. I wasn't interacting like normal with her. And so her daddy, I missed you, was really her saying, I want interaction with you. I want engagement with you. I want closeness with you. And that is the very thing that God, our creator, wants. He wants interaction with his prized creation. Even in all our insecurities, doubts, and failures, that is what he desires. He wants interaction. And not just interaction, he wants engagement. And not just engagement, he wants intimacy. He wants closeness with you. Not who you wish you were or act like you are in front of others. He wants you, the real you. The one who says, yeah, I'm scared. The one who says, yeah, I don't know what's going on tomorrow. God, help me. He wants that type of interaction with you. He wants the real you, the one that doesn't put on a show or pretend everything is perfect. Remember, he washes what he loves. He doesn't love what is washed. He wants you to come to him and say, I need you because without you, I'm lost. Come close to God and God will come close to you, James says. Right? So he wants that. So remember this, you're loved. Don't, let, don't ever let anything come in the way and try and tell you that God doesn't love you. The second thing is you're valued. And the third thing is, as I put, you're just what God wants. When you understand how much God loves and values you, there is no limit to what you can accomplish. No dream is too big. Last scripture, and, and give me a minute on this one. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Throw it up on the screen if you can. I'm going to read this. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the most educated individuals, right? He would have been in the conversation with Aristotle and Socrates because he was so smart, right? The knowledge that he had, you know, being in the Sanhedrin and all that stuff, right? He was a great, uh, knowledgeable individual, very educated. But he prays for the uh, church at Ephesus here, and he prays some prayers, and he says this in verse 18, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, and he's emphasizing that all of God's people should understand this. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Throw it over to verse 19. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness and life and the power that comes from God. You will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God when we understand how great his love is for us. So when we have a knowledge and we have an understanding of our Heavenly Father's love, it does some things, right? You will be filled with all of his fullness. That's what I desire. That's what I pray. And that's what, why Paul was praying to the church at Ephesus. He says, experiencing his love for us gives us the fullness of life and power from God. Galatians 5 and 6 says this, faith works by love. And a lot of people interpret it as, well, 
If I want my faith to work, I got to walk in love and I got to walk in love. And I gotta... Yeah, there is a truth to that. But I look at it as, as faith works by love, more so as faith works by an understanding of how much he loves us. Because when we understand he loves us, it's going to determine how we operate and do things in our life. Because when we know we're backed by our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally, we're covered by his love, it casts out all fear. Right, so then we can operate with freedom and confidence knowing that he's not sitting up on a throne ready to hit us with a stick if we mess up or make mistakes. We have confidence knowing that we're covered. We are covered. Love is the driving force behind our faith. Take away our understanding of his love and faith ceases to be what it should be. Many of us try hard to believe when we should be seeking a greater revelation of God's love for us. Listen, guys, here's my prayer for us today is for a greater revelation of his love for us. And this is something that I pray every single day, just like Paul prayed, right? I want to know how wide, how deep, how high your love is, you know, the depths of your love. And I, I, you know, I know when I read that and I think of how high and how wide and how deep the love of God is, I sit there and I think of a box, you know, I measure it out like, and, and the understanding of his love will determine that size of that box, right? And a lot of us put God in a box to operate out of. Well, when you understand how great his love is, it increases the size of that box that you put God in to operate out of. And when you know how great his love is, there's no limit to the size of that box. So God can begin to operate in your life the way he's always intended to operate in your life so that you could be filled with all of his fullness. Amen. Let's pray.